And you guys look amazing. What an honor to be here with each and every one of you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him you look good. Now turn to your second choice and tell him you look good too, just not as good as that first choice. You can be seated. Man, what an incredible blessing it is to be with the Victory Church. Pastor Paul and Ashley are just amazing leaders. Aren't you grateful that you have pastors who aren't afraid or just preach without fear or favor during this season? And, and if it's your first time here, you owe it to yourself to come back next weekend and hear one of our generation's greatest communicators and Pastor Paul, just an incredible leader. And I want to tell you this, and uh, he, he probably wouldn't say it to you, but I, I, I believe it. And after watching through this season, I don't know if there's been a more effective church leading in the last six months than Victory and Pastor Paul and Ashley. So thank you guys for the way that you've led. I got to honestly, just to be quite frank with you, I've been a little jealous, got to tell you. We, we don't have a building. We have five campuses and we're all portable. We meet in high schools. So we're, our, our ability to gather is kind of controlled by the school districts. And, and so I, I'm looking on Instagram and your pastor's on the roof of the building. And then I'm like, that is awesome. And then the next thing, he's on a scissor lift, like, like cruising through the parking lot and 600 people a day are getting saved. I'm telling our team, can we do that? They're like, no, we don't have a parking lot. I'm like, why? It really is awesome. Your pastor is, uh, you know, honestly, some guys get it all. He's tall. He's handsome. I thought, well, maybe he just can't preach. No, he can preach. And then he pulls out a guitar. He's like, I'm going to write a song right now. I'm like, okay, God, I quit. That's not even, and the Lord's like, here, Jeremy, you get a joke. <laughs> it really is an honor to be with you guys. And I, I feel like, I feel like God has given me a word for you today. And I will tell you, my, my voice has been struggling since last night, right in the middle of the sermon, which is a good sign because I'm like, all right, God, you must really have something for these people. So if I take a couple drinks of water today, just amen me or talk amongst yourselves. But I, I do believe that I have something for you today. We're, we're in a series called Faith in the Wild. Faith in the Wild. Now, when you think about that, you, it's a cool title, Faith in the Wild. But how else do you get through the wild without faith? And you don't, if it's not wild, you really don't need faith, right? I was raised in churchy church. Anybody raised in churchy church? Scary church. We also called it scary church. It's always scared God's going to come back and you're going to go to hell. Um, that's, I was raised in churchy church. And uh, I used to hear this a lot. Fear is the opposite of faith. And faith is the opposite of fear. Don't be afraid. If you have fear, you're not speaking into faith. And the church would be like, yeah. But, but then, like, as I grew up, I was like, man, I got a lot of fear still. Like, I'm, I'm still afraid. Like, and then I felt bad about fear. And then I learned a lot more about faith. And, 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 and faith and fear, they're not the opposite. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. Because if I'm certain that something's going to happen, I don't even need faith. If I need faith... You better believe that I'm scared to death. I'm just doing it anyway by the power of Jesus' name and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I can do it afraid. Every, everything I've ever done for God, I was scared to death. <laughs> we started church five years ago, portable church in, in Houston, Texas. I was scared to death. I didn't know if anybody would show up. In fact, the first, the first service, we had these curtains. We were in high school and we were behind the curtains 15 minutes till church started. My wife was like, you should go out there. 
should see if anybody's out there. You know, we're meeting with the team in the back. We're praying the walls down. I said, like, all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to look. I came out behind the curtain. And I looked. And there was four people. And they were all sitting in the front. So I was like, well, at least they're sanctified. They're sitting in the front. There's four of them. And I went back. She was like, how many is it? And I was like, it's four. She was like, oh, God, oh, Jesus. Oh, dear God. And the next, the next time I went out was when service began. And there was 1,287 people out there. I just didn't know Houston showed up late for church. Those people, they just show up late. But since then, we've seen more than 40,000 people give their lives to Jesus in five years. God has done something amazing. But it happened because I was afraid and I had faith. That's faith in the wild. And I'll tell you right now, we in the wild, y'all. This whole world's in the wild right now. Never before than now have we needed faith. And I'm grateful for Victory Church who just decided they were going to help lead us all through this pandemic and through this crisis. And I respect your pastors. What do you do when you're in the midst of a trial? How do you, how do you handle it? How do you maintain faith in the wild? Our text today is Matthew chapter 11. I like it. Verse two, central character, John the Baptist says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So that's a coordinating conjunction that lets us know what's getting ready to happen is because of what just happened. So he heard about everything the Messiah was doing, and this is what it caused. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the one? Like, because I had an expectation of what you would do. And because of what you're doing, it's causing me to question. Has Jesus' actions ever caused you to doubt his authenticity? Like you thought he was going to do something great and he didn't. You even spoke it in faith and you told people God's going to come through. And the next weekend you kind of avoided them because you didn't want to have to explain that he didn't come through this week. You ever had something just, you wanted it to turn out great and it just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out? Yeah. I have the opportunity of being able to pastor in Houston, Texas, and I love my city. Hang on, let me take a little, little oh, we got some people from Houston here, all right? All right. A little bit for Pac and Biggie and Billy Graham. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> some of the white people are like, who's Pac? All right, all right. Okay, the real preacher will be back next week, guys. It's going to be fun today. We're going to have fun. I get the opportunity to pastor in Houston, Texas. I can't believe I just did that. But anyway, I get the, I get the pastor in Houston, Texas. I love my city. And we have the world's largest indoor rodeo, and it happens usually in March. The Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and you see the world's greatest cowboys and cowgirls compete. And then you see artists from Beyonce to George Strait um, perform um, on the evenings of the rodeos, 21 nights long, and it's amazing. And the tickets are $19 to get in, or you can get the shoot seats and they're right behind the bucking shoots and they're $400 face value. The scalpers get them and they're like three grand. But the reason they're so expensive is because they take the, like six rows of those people and they take them out right after the rodeo's over and they bring them down onto the arena floor and they sit them right in front of the stage. And if you know that's gonna happen, you can buy the $19 ticket and then step into a blessing that has been vacated. As they go to their new seats, you step into that blessing. I'm preaching, I ain't even preaching yet. But you gotta get in line. And so on this particular night, 
uh, evangelist Keith Urban was preaching that night. Some of you guys know who Brother Keith is. And so Brother Keith was there. My wife's a Brother Keith fan. And so, uh, so I had to sling a couple of elbows to get in the front of the line. I'm like slinging elbows. I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, where do you pastor? I'm like, my name's Paul, pastor at Victory in Tulsa. You guys, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do that only once. I didn't do it again. But, um, so we get on the front row, man. And Keith Urban comes out flipping his little hair around his little hairless arms, playing the guitar, you know, <laughs> and he jump, he jumps off the stage and he's going the other way. And I prayed, I was like, Holy Spirit, help him to come this way. He hears the Holy Spirit. He got, I don't know if he heard the Holy Spirit, but he started coming towards us and he gets right in front of us. And when he gets right in front of us, he climbs up on the buck and shoots. And actually I have a picture of it. Show my picture of Keith Urban. Look at that. He's right there, literally right in front of us. And then he hands, you can see it in the second picture. He hands the microphone to his security and he starts climbing over towards us. At this moment, my wife loses her mind. She's like, oh my God, Keith, oh my God. I'm like, that ain't my name. <laughs> He wanted, he should have put a ring on it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on. <laughs> but when he comes, <laughs> it's my last time here, guys. Let's make it fun, all right? So when he comes, when he comes over, he doesn't go towards her. He comes towards your boy. So she hands me her phone. She's like, get a video. And I got a video and I brought my video. Y'all want to see my video? All right, roll my Keith Urban video. That's it. <laughs> and after the concert, she was like, let me see the video. And I gave it to her. And she was like, you're a moron. I was like, I don't know what happened. She said, I know what happened. Right when he got close, you lost your mind. You're like, hey, oh my God, God. you can literally hear me scream on the video. It didn't work the way <laughs> it didn't work the way I wanted it to work. Right. Like you ever been in the room with a celebrity and you're like, if I get close to him, I'm not going to be weird. Like all the other people are like, I love your music. I'm gonna be like, hey, how you doing? You need a friend? I'll be there for you. And then when he got close, I was like, I love your music. Security like took him away. They're like, get away from the weird guy. I wanted it to be cool, but it wasn't. I was a moron. It's a very embarrassing story now. And that's a funny story. But when, when something like that happens in your prayer life, it's not funny. When you expect God to do something and he doesn't. You expect God to come through in a specific way and he doesn't come through the way you wanted him to come through. It creates a challenge. I'm going to give you four things this weekend that I'm going to, I believe will help you find faith in the wild. The first one is simply this. Write this down. God doesn't always live up to your expectations, but he always lives up to his word. If he said he'd never leave you, he'd never leave you. If he said he'd never forsake you, he'll never forsake you. He'll be with you till the end of the world. But what, what you have to do is you got to check your expectations. Because a lot of us are expecting God to do something that he never said he would do. You ever heard this phrase? I just said it. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But oftentimes we add something else. We say God will never put on you anything more than you can bear. And that's scripturally out of context. Some of y'all are like, no, I have it on my refrigerator. God will never give you more than you can carry. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way of escape. But there are things in life that'll kill you. In fact, the Bible tells you it's appointed unto man once to die. 
You can't handle that. Paul, powerful apostle, lost his head. That was more than he could handle. <laughs> Encouraging weekend at Victory. God bless you. I'm just trying to help you because sometimes we expect God to do something. He never said it was going to be easy. In fact, in John, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, period. That's a promise from God. How many of us love the promises from God? That's one of them. In this world, you'll have trouble. Oh, thank you, God, for that. We just rest on that trouble right now. No. <laughs> Nobody puts that on a, on a, a painting above your above your dining room table with an eagle. In this world, you'll have trouble. Nobody does that. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to make it. But the challenge is we grow up expecting God to do something that he may not have promised to do. He said he would love you. He said he would be with you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember this. I love the blessings of God. I don't live for the blessings of God. I'm grateful for the salvation of God. And my calling is to expand his kingdom and not just to rack up blessings. Now, blessings are a bonus and I'm grateful for them. And I live and breathe in the blessings, man. I'm so grateful for him. But if he never blesses me another day, he's already done everything he needs to do for me. And I'm going to another place that's greater than this one. Oh, God, help us not to be addicted to your blessings. And let our faith rely on whether you're blessing us in this moment or not. Some of the most challenging seasons that I've ever been through are ones that I didn't want to go through. That I would have said, no, I don't got it. There's, I don't want to do it. Jesus himself went through it. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But it was because of that moment that you and I can stand here free. That's faith in the wild. Faith in the wild doesn't feel fun in the moment, but we trust God in the process. This is crucial for us to understand because we sometimes believe that God's just, God's just gonna carry us through on wings of angels and it's gonna be perfect. But I don't find that exemplified anywhere in here. Now, I want him to come through, but I don't know about y'all. This has been a hard year. How many of y'all in like January, you're like, this is my year. By like April, you're like, next year. <laughs> next year's my year. <laughs> Some of y'all just trying to get to Christmas. God, I'm just trying to get to Christmas. Just going through pain, going through heartache, get let down, feel frustrated. Start entertaining fear and doubt and depression and anxiety. And then you begin to doubt God. You ever been in a moment where you doubted God? See, we, we act like we, we don't. No, brother, I'm, I'm good. God is good all the time and all the time. Christians, good answer. But have you ever been so turned upside down you don't even know which way is up? Somebody's like, how you doing? I'm fine. Where you want to go eat? Fine, fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Going through pain. Can I tell you this? I'm, I'm, and it might be my last time. I don't think it would be. I love, I love Pastor Paul. But I, I've doubted, I've doubted God before. 
And I'm not talking about a long time ago when I was a kid, I doubted God, and then I got to faith, and I was fine. No, no, this year. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I've doubted God. I've doubted whether he was going to come through. I've had a lot of faith this year. I've also had a lot of fear. I've had a lot of declarations this year and a lot of doubt. I've had a lot of moments where like, no, we're going to be all right. And then back in the back room, oh, God, I don't know what we're going to do. And if you're honest, you have those exact same moments. In fact, it, like we all have issues. How many of y'all have issues? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, that's your issue. <laughs> you a liar. You don't even know you have issues. You got so many issues. You blame them on everybody else. That's your issue. God sent me here today to tell you be delivered from all that. <laughs> we just sometimes believe that it's all going to be perfect and widen my life perfect like that person's life is perfect. And we cherry pick the scriptures that we want to read and we read all the faith scriptures and we don't read Job 14, 19. We talk about Job, how he's one of the greatest men to walk the face of the planet. When Satan's looking for somebody to tempt, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Thanks a lot, God. Whose side are you on? We talk about how Job had a yet praise. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Yet will I trust him. But nobody talks about Job 14, 19. Here's what he said. As waters wear away the stones and as floods wash away the soil of the earth, so you, O Lord, destroy the hope of man. Y'all pick up your God destroys your hope bracelets on the way out today. <laughs> Nobody's putting that scripture on a t-shirt, right? But does it make it any less in here? Aren't you grateful that we're a part of a church that doesn't just cherry pick scriptures, but we preach the context of the word of God. And we have a pastor who preaches without fear or favor. I'm grateful for Pastor Paul. I'm not saying you don't need to have faith. You just need to be honest at sometimes and go, okay, I'm not the only person who's felt the way I feel. So that means if God got Job through it, he can get me through it. Amen. Jeremiah said this one, and I put it in the King James Version because it sounds so much scarier. <laughs> Jeremiah, this is the guy who had fire shut up in his bones. He was called before he was even born. God said, I knew you. I called you when you were in your mother's womb. But nobody reads Jeremiah 15, 18. Here's what he said. I'll read it in the King James Version, King James English. Why is my pain perpetual? I'm already doing this, so we're going for it. And my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed. He's talking to God. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? God, that was him. That was Jeremiah. I'm Jeremy. We're different people. I was raised in a scary church. You call God a liar. You better look out for a lightning bolt. Hello. Well, what does this tell us? Read the whole chapter. The context of pain brought to God. He also, Jeremiah also wrote lamentations. Lament is worship. It's bringing my pain to the feet of God. 
bringing my, I'm talking to somebody. I hadn't said this in any other service. Some of us need to realize that when I'm in pain and when I'm in heartache, that's travail. I bring it to God and say, God, I don't understand. I'm in pain. I'm in frustration, but I'm bringing it to you and not to everybody else. Some of us will worship God and complain to everybody else. What if you brought him everything? You, you mean, you mean tell God I'm mad at him? Yeah, 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast all your anxiety or all your cares on him, for he cares for you. That word cast in the Greek means to unload. You mean I should unload on God? Yeah. If you're mad at him, he already knows. It ain't like you keeping a secret. Like me and God ain't talking right now. Don't you think if his shoulders are big enough to handle your sickness, your disease, your financial struggles, that he can also handle your fear, your doubt, your depression, and your anxiety. Bring it to the only one who can fix it. That's faith in the wild. Nobody like Elijah, man. Elijah, powerhouse man of God. When Elijah prays, it doesn't rain for three years. And at the end of that three years, God is ready to show his people his glory. So Elijah says, meet me on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. You build an altar to your God. I'll build an altar to my God. We'll pray and whichever God answers by fire, that's the one true God. Not a good way to handle intra-office arguments. Very Old Testament. So they bring their altar and they, they begin to pray. They begin to cry out to their God. Now, if you don't believe the Bible has a sense of humor, you should read this story in Kings because it's funny. Elijah's rude. It's hilarious. Like they've been crying out all day. They're at the point of cutting themselves. And Elijah goes, hey, I don't know. I mean, just, just a thought. Did y'all book it with your God's scheduler? Because he might be on vacation or something. That's funny. I can't wait to meet Elijah. He's a thug. That's hilarious. And then he said, <laughs> then he said, you might want to scream louder because maybe your God's a heavy sleeper. You know, he might be, he might take an ambient. I don't, we don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Elijah's hilarious. And when they finish, they're like, we're done. It's your turn. He goes, it's my turn. I can go. I can go. It's my go. They're like, yeah. He goes, okay. So he places a sacrifice on the altar. He digs a trench around the altar. He finds water from somewhere because it hadn't rained in three years. He pours so much water on the altar that it saturates the sacrifice, the rocks, and fills the trench. And he prays a one-paragraph prayer, and fire falls from heaven and consumes not only the sacrifice, but the stones and all the water. He turns and looks at the prophets and says, how you like me now? Not just like that, but something like that. Then he pulled out a sword and he kills them all. And then he turns to the king and says, it's getting ready to rain. Yeah. Had rain in three years. Then he goes and he buries his face in the sand and he prays until it rains. And then he's so filled with the power of God that he runs down the mountain and outruns the king's chariot. This is a man of God who's seen fire fall and rain fall on the same day. And then he gets a letter from a lady named Jezebel. And she says, she just said, she said, Suki, Suki, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't get past that church mother just preaching with me up here. 
he gets a letter from a lady. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to paraphrase. She said something like this. She said, dear Elijah, I don't love what you did to my prophets. Period. I'm going to do it back to you. Comma, I'm going to kill you till you're dead. Exclamation point. Sincerely, Jezebel. Hashtag, you better run, sucker. <laughs> now, my expectation would be that he would respond literally like, what are you talking about? Do you know who you're talking to, lady? I just prayed down fire from heaven and rain. Ain't nothing between you and me but air and opportunity. You feeling froggy jump. I'm from the country, okay? But that's not his response. His response in 1 Kings 19, 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone. Everybody say alone. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And that's the problem. You were never designed to be in the wilderness alone. So when we started groups last week, and you should be in a group. Why? Because you shouldn't have to go through this season all by yourself. You need somebody beside you who can help pray you through this season. You need to go through growth track. You need to get on the dream team. Let's see lives change together. You can't do it by yourself. Now notice, he doesn't stop praying. But the content of his prayers shifted. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. This is a problem. Because now we have the man of God dealing with suicidal depression. Trying to commit suicide by prayer. He knows how powerful his prayers are. He just prayed down fire from heaven and he prayed down rain and now he's asking God to kill him. Now, I don't know about y'all. I said this at the last service. I didn't say it last night, but I felt prompted at the last service. I feel it right now. I was raised in a family of bootstrappers. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I was raised in a cowboy family. In fact, my dad would not be proud of the boots that I have on today because they have zippers on the side. My dad would be like, do they make those in men's, Jeremy? You think they make those for men? <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Anyway, <laughs> I was raised not understanding depression. I didn't understand it. You know why? Because when you get down, you talk to the Lord and you pick yourself up and you just get up and you just keep going. But what happens when you can't? What happens when you can't seem to pray yourself out of what you've walked yourself into? Aren't you grateful that God still meets you at that point? I walked through it in 2017. Never in my life did I walk through it. In 2017, I walked through depression. I didn't even know what it was. All I know is Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. We were serving round the clock. We were helping as many people as we could help. And I got tired. And I felt by myself. I was still praying. My prayers just weren't filled with faith. And I remember I would come home and I would sit in my truck for an hour couldn't get out. And after about the fourth or fifth night of that, my wife came out and sat in the truck with me. She was like, what's going on? I was like, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I can't pick myself up. She said, is it me? I said, no, I love you. She said, is it the kids? I was like, it might be the kids. <laughs> we got five kids. I was like, it could be them. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. They might be watching online. I love y'all. It was just, it was a moment where 
where circumstances had changed. We weren't on the mountaintop anymore. I felt like I was in a desert. You ever been in a desert place? You ever been in a painful place? That's where we found John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He, he, had, more, he had more proof than anybody had that Jesus is who he says he is. When he baptized Jesus, John baptized Jesus. Can you imagine being that guy? He baptized Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, Jesus came out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You don't get more proof than John had in the waters of baptism that Jesus is who he says he is. So why do we find him in Matthew 11 doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah or not? It's one little phrase in the very beginning of the verse. Verse two, John the Baptist, who was in prison. He wasn't in the waters of baptism anymore. He wasn't preaching in locusts and eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel hair and make straight the way of the Lord. He wasn't that prophet crying out in the wilderness anymore. He's a forgotten man in a prison. Second thing I'll tell you that'll help you have faith in the wild is simply this. You've got to remember that a prison perspective will always cause you to doubt your destiny. And I don't know what prison you're in right now. Maybe it's this whole year, the challenges that we've all dealt with, that we've all faced, the heartache of the season, what's going on in our country, in our nation. It feels like it's torn apart. What do we do? Maybe you feel claustrophobic. Maybe it's in your marriage. You thought it was going to be better. You thought it was going to be different. And it's just challenging. And you look at other people and you go, why them? And I'm, I'm over here struggling. Maybe, maybe this is your first time back in church in a long time. Maybe, maybe you went years ago and somebody in church hurt you. Somebody who was supposed to represent Christ didn't. First, let me just say this. I'm sorry. They never should have done that. I apologize on their behalf. But please don't let somebody who misrepresented Christ actually be the example. He loves you. God cares for you. His mercy endures forever. Maybe it's somebody that you trusted who failed you. Or maybe it's just you. Maybe after all these years, you've realized you're the one who's hard to live with. Maybe you look at all your relationships and you look at, you look at your failed friendships and marriage and realize that you're the common denominator. Maybe it's your repetitive sin habits and you can't seem to stop and you don't understand why and you realize I fail all the time. Here's the third thing that I want to give you and I think it's so important for you to get. Your faith is more important than your failure. Can't tell you this. Somebody needs to hear this today. You can't out Jesus, Jesus. You're never going to have one single day that you don't need him. You're going to have an opportunity every day to need Jesus. God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. You're going to need God. You're going to fail through life. And I don't like that. And I wish I wouldn't. And I wish you wouldn't. I wish you were better than that. <laughs> don't you wish you were better than that? But we're stuck in this flesh. And so we have to rely on Jesus. Well, how does he look at our failure? All you have to do is look at the guys that he called to be around him. Look at the disciples. Just failures. He was always trying to explain stuff to them. And they were like, we don't get it. 
And we look at him, we're like, what's wrong with him? But if you were there, you'd be doing the same thing. I don't get it. Simon Peter's one of my favorite. Just, just tons of bravado. A little braggadocious. Jesus is talking about his death. And Simon Peter goes, not me, man. When all these guys leave you, I'll be with you. Jesus, you got to know, Jesus chuckled a little bit. He's like, oh, man, I love you so much. But you're going to fail me. Now, I want you to notice what he says. Tells him first, you're going to fail me. Then he tells him exactly what he's going to do. You're going to deny me. Not me. Not, mm -mm. I'm your ride or die, Jesus. I'll be here when nobody else is. Jesus says, you're not going to just deny me once. You're going to deny me three times today. That's hard. But then Jesus gives Simon Peter something that he can take to the bank. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I love this verse. But I have prayed for you. If you don't think anybody in your life is praying for you, the son of the living God is lifting your voice every day. I have prayed for you. Now listen to the content of his prayer. He said, I've prayed that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That's, that's not a prayer that we would pray, right? If I knew you were gonna fail and I'd already predicted your failure, then I would pray that you'd stop failing. In fact, I might even verbalize it in front of all of your friends and family. Dear Lord, please help our brother to not fail anymore and stop embarrassing the family of God. But that's not what Jesus prays because he knows he's gonna fail. He prays that his faith doesn't fail. And what else does he say? When you've returned to me, I hope that you remember that you haven't disqualified yourself because of your failure. You're still going to be used. I'm still going to do great things in your life because my mercy endures forever and I can still use you. Is he giving him a license to fail? No. He's giving him a license to come back. I love that. And it's so powerful. Mark chapter 9. I won't tell you the whole story, but a father brought his son to the disciples. They couldn't heal him. So he brought him to Jesus. He said, Jesus, can you heal my son? Jesus' response Gives us point number four. Verse nine, Mark, verse 23, chapter nine, verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cries out and gives us a major problem. He says, Lord, I believe, but I also unbelieve. I believe and I unbelieve. I have faith and I have fear. I have declaration and I have doubt. So what does Jesus do? Go to the back of the line. Nut soup for you. You go pray until you get a little bit more faith and you come back up here and stop embarrassing me and wasting my time. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus heals the boy in spite of the man's doubt. So the fourth thing I want you to write down is even when you doubt, God still shows up. But I thought you had to have it all together. No, no, you actually don't. Even when you doubt, God still shows up. The last text that I'll read to you is John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because I don't want to say something and not prove it with some text. Even when you doubt, God still shows up. John 20, 19. After the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the disciples heard that he had risen from the dead, but they hadn't seen him yet. Scared to death. In fact, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. 
They were filled with fear. Very little to no faith. If they had faith, don't you think they'd have been at the tomb on the third day? They'd have had a tomb tailgate party. They'd have had the Bee Gees singing, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> they weren't there. They're hiding in a room. <laughs> the doors are locked. And suddenly Jesus is standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Many versions tells us the doors were locked and the windows were locked and Jesus appeared, which tells me when you can't get out, he can always get in. No matter what's got you locked down right now, you have a holy God. He's not just knocking on the door. He's standing right next to you. The enemy plays a dangerous game. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are tossed in the burning, fiery furnace, right? And the king is the one who looks in and says, Hey, how many did we throw in there? They said, oh, uh, three. Oh, king. He said, well, lo, I see four walking around, and the fourth looks like the Son of Man. Here's what I wrote in the margins of my Bible. How did he know? How did he know what God looks like? Here's the only answer I could find. The enemy always knows when God shows up in your situation. He's just waiting to see if you recognize it or not. Because it's the presence of a holy God that sets you free. And it's the enemy who ultimately delivered them out of the fire. But it was God who had set them free in the fire. I don't have to be delivered out of the fire to be set free in it. But what about, what about, what about if I missed my moment? What if I'm, what if I, I'm, I'm a late bloomer? I'm late to the party. I feel like I'm, my time has already passed. <laughs> they were in the room again. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. It was amazing. Have you ever missed the good service? Like you had to work and people were like, bruh, bruh. Pastor Paul was levitating. We were throwing wheelchairs. It was crazy. And you get mad. You're like, I had to work. And you finally just want him to stop talking. This is where Thomas is. We know him as Doubting Thomas, and this is where he gets the moniker. They said, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now we have a problem theologians because this is a believer who is declaring his unbelief now we have a challenge because he put a caveat on his faith unless God does this for me I won't believe what do you do when you're in a moment of absolute doubt and you can't find any faith verse 26 says and after eight days his disciples were again inside. It's eight days later when he said, I won't believe eight long days pass. But he's still with them. Thomas is with the disciples. 
And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Can I tell you this? When you're at a, po- a moment where you have absolutely no faith, you have absolutely no hope, you have absolutely no trust, get around some people who do and God still shows up in the midst of them and maybe that's why you're here I don't have any hope I don't have any faith but you're around a lot of people who will pray you through this moment God can still show up he can still show up even when you don't think he can God's everywhere at once do you realize that we used to say this when I was in church I'd hear him say we're going to have a move of God today Oh, hallelujah. God's going to move. Hallelujah. God's going to move. As I got older, I realized God don't move. God can't move. If God moves, that means he has to leave point A and get to point B. If he moves, that means he leaves one place and goes to another place. Let me tell you something. If you blasted off in a rocket right now at the speed of light and you went to the deepest, darkest black hole and you looked in, God would say peeky boo because he was there before you got there. God don't move. He manifests. He's already in your situation. He's already in your pain. He's already in your heartache. He's just waiting on you to recognize. He's there. And he's never left. Well, that's cool. I appreciate you preaching and screaming and spitting all over the front row. You are in the splash zone. God bless you. But you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain in my life, preacher. And I would just tell you, respectfully, you don't know what I've been through. What do you think gives me the passion to preach the way I preach? It was 20 years ago. I met my my wife and I fell in love with her immediately. It took her a little longer. But after nine months of meeting, we got married. That's not smart, kids. Y'all take a little time, okay? On the honeymoon, we had problems. See, I didn't know that Jen, her earliest memory was of being molested by a family member at the age of four. I just had no idea. And that it started rejection, abuse, pain, abandonment, all of that in her life for years and years. Had boyfriends that almost killed her. Just pain. I didn't know any of that. I was raised in a pretty healthy family. My parents have been married almost 50 years. Unbelievable. They love each other deeply. So when I got married, remember, my expectation is it's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. We're going to frolic through fields of butterflies. We'll hold hands and pray through every problem. And I had no idea that pain was in our future. In fact, on the honeymoon, the abuse that had existed in every relationship that she had had showed up on the honeymoon. Except for this time, the abuser, the one who had been abused, became the abuser. I didn't know how to handle the anger. I know what it feels like to wear long sleeves, to cover up bruises and scratches on my arms. I know what it feels like to have the person that you love more than anybody in the world punch you in the face. And put makeup on your face to cover up bruises so that people won't ask questions. I know what it feels like to be hopeless. And say, why God? 
I wish I could tell you that I acted like Christ and I loved her through it. That I, that I, I took that opportunity to love my wife like Christ loved the church and tell her you're going to be okay and we're going to make it through it. But I was too involved in self-pity. Why did you do this to me, God? As if somehow I deserved anything other than death. And so I did what everybody else in her life had done. I just did it a different way. I rejected her and acted like she was crazy. Not realizing that that's not who she was. Please listen to me. That's not who she was. It's just what had happened to her. And some of you have lived as an abuser for years or as somebody who yells at other people for years because that's what had happened to you and you felt somehow like that became who you are. That's not who you are and I serve a God who can radically deliver you today. It was painful. We had two kids within two years of marriage and then she left and she said, you'll never see your kids again and I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, she did let me in their lives and I had them for a week, and then she had them for a week, and this went on week after week after week, and then month after month after month, and then a year went by, and then two years went by, and now pain is my life. And preconceived ideas and miscommunication, and everybody has got an opinion. And most of them were church people. See, I was in ministry, but it wasn't what ministry looked like. You weren't supposed to... You weren't supposed to be having marriage problems in ministry. You're supposed to have it all together. But I didn't. Told people I was okay on the front and cried myself to sleep in the back. So I gave my life to Jesus when I was five, but I didn't really need him until I was 25. And I found him inside of those years of separation on an old linoleum gym floor where I pounded out a relationship with God. What I had no idea is that across town in a little two-bedroom apartment, my wife Jennifer was pounding out a relationship with God. And I'll never forget, 27 months after separation, she knocked on my office door and she was weeping. And she said, I don't want to be this way anymore. I love you. And I stand here today as a testimony, 20 years of marriage, five kids, a global ministry, don't tell me God can't take something broken and make it beautiful if you put it in his hands. This is faith in the wild. This is what it looks like. We have a God who loves us through all of it. Would you stand with me all across this room? I don't really know how to close this, but, but what I feel like doing, and I know in this day and age of social distancing that we need to probably do that, but if you, I'm, I haven't done this at any other service, but if, you, if you've been in a moment of doubt, here's what I believe. I believe the physical mirrors the spiritual. And sometimes when I'm asking God to move me, sometimes I just need to make a move and say, God, all right, symbolically, I'm just gonna step from where I've been to where you have me going. And I'm going to take this faith of step in the this faith step in the wild and trust that as I step, you're going to change me. If that's you, it's going to take a lot of courage. But I want you to take the step and come out here right now. Just come down as close as you can. Can we give them a hand all over the room? People that are just stepping out and saying, "All right, it's time. Come on, let them hear you, Victory. It's time. It's time." 
Now's the time. Now's the time. Come on, keep clapping. They're coming from all over the room. It's time. I got to see change in my life. I got to see change in my marriage. I got to see change in my kids. I got to see change in these babies. I got to see change in my finances. God, we need a miracle in our country. God, I pray that you do something in my ministry. Lord, I'm stepping for somebody else that can't step. I'm going to step for them. Would you lift your hands all over this room? Those of you who aren't down here, maybe you didn't want to come down, that's okay. Just lift your hands for you or stretch your hands out towards these people. And I want us to pray. And then our team's going to sing. God, in your name, I pray right now for every marriage that's represented here. I pray for every person who's dealing with, with fear and doubt and depression and anxiety. Your word says you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So right now, under the authority of the Holy Ghost and in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would break every chain and set the captives free in Jesus' name. Somebody bang your hands together and shout unto God with a voice of triumph.